Welcome to the Hope Collective Message Podcast, where we find a confident expectation of a better tomorrow in the character and promises of God. To learn more about who we are, visit thehopeco.com. Here's today's message. This is 1 John 2, 15 to 17. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what God pleases, or who does pleases God will live forever. I'm gonna read that last one again. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. The word of God. You guys can have a seat. Sam, thank you so much uh, for reading God's words for us today. And thank you for leading the way in hearing from God and seeing a need and moving forward to invite people into an experience where they can love others and share hope with the community. So thank you uh, for setting the pace for that. Go to the Hope Hub after service if you're interested in being part of Buddy Breaks and the Access Ministry and following up with this. Uh, so this is an incredible opportunity for us to be a resource to our community and help people experience hope. So good morning. It's good to be with you all uh, today. So glad that we get to be together and worship God and glorify him together. Uh, if this is your first time with the Hope Collective, welcome. Uh, my name is Alex. I'm one of the Hope Collective's pastors, and you are jumping in with us as we are picking back up a series that we have been in and out of over the past several months in the book of First John. It was back in January that we started kind of our slow discussion, a thoughtful discussion about this letter that has kind of a unique place in scripture because it's written by one of Jesus's earliest followers and closest friends who is coming to the end of his life. He's about 90 years old as he's writing this letter and he's looking back on an entire lifetime spent following Jesus. He started following Jesus as a teenager that was how old he was when Jesus was walking this earth and teaching and inviting people to follow him. And so about 75 years later, he is still writing and encouraging and looking back in his entire life and writes to God's people sharing words of wisdom and warning and encouragement. And we talked about a few months ago that this is a timely reminder in every season for God's people because what John is encouraging us to do is to stay true to what we know to be true. In Jesus, in a world where there are so many people and so many voices that would have us turn away from Jesus and pursue something outside of him, John writes as this timely reminder for us to stay true to what is true in Jesus. And so we spent the past kind of two and a half chapters, really the past like six months, and I know some of you are thinking like six months and we're two and a half chapters in, we took some breaks, we're just working our way through. Because this is a thoughtful book with so much to gain out of it if we're willing to put in the time to think well, to talk to one another, and to process what John is saying. And so John, up to this point, he's been using these really like stark contrasts and this bold language to drive this point home that if God is light and in him there is no darkness at all, 
then we should love one another because the God of all creation who made us and loved us in Jesus has impressed his character and his goodness and his light and his life into us. And so we are able to express it into the world around us. And so he's using these stark images of light and darkness and love and hate, life and death. And then we get to this point in chapter two, verse 15, where the book takes this real hard turn where John has been talking about everything that God invites us to do and all of the beautiful things that are true when we live a life with Jesus. And then we get to probably the starkest warning and the strongest caution that we have in the entire book of the Bible. If this were like existing today, it'd probably come with a like the yellow triangle with the exclamation point with like, hold on, make sure that you do not miss this because if you don't take this to heart, things will not go well. But at the same time, with the strength of this warning that John is giving us, there's also a tendency, if we're not thinking carefully about this, to actually misunderstand what John is saying and therefore misapply it. And so as much as a life following Jesus demands that we have a strong back to carry one another's burdens, that we have a soft heart to stay humble, there is an invitation to have a sharp mind so that we can know what is true so that we can live like it. And so we're gonna take some time today really dig into these verses in scripture because there's three things that we need to know if we're actually going to take this to heart. The first is, what is John actually saying in chapter 2, verse 15 to 17? What is he actually saying, and what are the consequences of getting this wrong? And then finally, what in the world does this have to do with loving people? Because this is the big theme that John has been making for the past two and a half chapters is that we should love one another because God has loved us. And now we're going to be talking about the things that we shouldn't love. But what does that have to do with loving people? And so we're going to take some time. We're going to read through this passage again and then kind of double back and talk through it verse by verse so that we can make sure that we know what John is actually saying, what the consequences are of getting this wrong, and what in the world this has to do with loving people. So before we start all that, I'd love it if we could pray together and ask for God's help as we wrap our minds around these important truths that John is sharing with us. Can we do that? Heavenly Father, thank you that you have not left us alone to try and find our way in this world without any help or wisdom or guidance from you, but you have given us your word. You've given us the example of Jesus and you have given us the counsel of scripture which we believe with all our heart is our guide because it tells us who you are and it reminds us of who you created us to be and whose image you are making us into as we follow Jesus and become more like him. And so we humbly ask, Lord, that you would give us open hearts and open ears to hear from you this morning, that you would make your voice clear and that you would give us the courage to do anything that you would ask us to do when we walk out of these doors today. We love you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're in 1 John, again, chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. You're going to want a Bible with you as we walk through this together, so feel free to open that up on your phones. If you have a copy with you, go ahead and turn there, 1 John, chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles on the back shelves back there. But again, we're going to be working through this passage, asking some questions and doing some thinking about this. So these verses here, chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Do not love this world, nor the things that it offers you. 
For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. A warning from John to God's people, that if we were to take it to heart, we need to know what is John actually saying? What are the consequences of getting this wrong? And what does this have to do with loving people? If we're familiar with John's writing, and we've been paying attention to his book so far, this first sentence that we have in verse 15 should strike us as a little strange. Because John is saying, do not love the world. Which the most famous Bible verse ever, John 3.16, says that God loved the world and sent his one and only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And for the past two and a half chapters, he's been saying, you should love. I was going to spend all that time saying, God loves you and you should love people and you love people because God loves you and God loves the world, but don't love the world. It's like, okay, hold on. What's happening here? So let's talk about what John is saying when he's using this word world. Because again, up to this point, John has been saying, God loves us and we can love people, but do not love the world. What is John talking about? When John is talking about the world, He's not talking about people. He's not talking about the individuals that we live with, that we interact with on a daily basis, that we sit next to or have an office space adjacent to, the people who pack our Amazon boxes and deliver our mail and keep our streets safe. He's not writing and saying, don't love those people. That is inconsistent with what he's been saying so far. But what is he talking about then when he uses this word world? This idea of the world in the New Testament does not mean the people of the world, but he's talking about this tendency and this posture that the world takes towards God that is trying to find goodness and a life of meaning and purpose separated from the God who created us and is all good in the first place. It's this system that humanity has constructed to try and find its way in the world outside of God. And because it is outside of God, it is actually in opposition and rebellion against him. This idea of the world is any vision of the good life that does not look like the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus describes what a life spent living in the goodness of the kingdom of God looks like. And so when John uses this idea of the world, he's saying, do not love this system that you have been handed by humanity that would cause you to try to find your goodness outside of God himself. And if that's true, this idea of the world as this system that is actually in rebellion against God wouldn't it still make sense for us to love that? Wouldn't it still make sense for us to want good for the people that are involved with that? And here again, John is using this word love, but slightly differently than has been using it so far. So, so far, this idea of love that John has been handing us has everything to do with this Jesus-y kind of desire and commitment 
towards the well-being of others and actually a willingness to participate in seeing goodness happen in their life. It's this desire to will and to work for someone else's good. That's the love that John has been talking about so far, the love that God shows us, God wanting our good and actually working towards it to the fact that he would give his one and only son to die for us so that we could experience the abundant life that God always intended for us in the first place. That's the Jesus-y kind of love that he's been talking about so far. But the love that comes to us in verse 15 is not about us pursuing the good of others. It's actually about us trying to find our good in something apart from God. And on the surface, that kind of relationship with something can look like love because there's a lot of devotion, there's a lot of commitment, there's a lot of energy and attention and affection that we put into that thing to help make sure that it is good, but it's a twisted kind of devotion because it's self-preservation. I'm going to love this thing because I have so much of my good wrapped up in it that if it falls apart, so do I. And so this warning of John that comes to us is saying, do not love the world. Do not attach and find so much of your goodness and your well-being in this system that is in rebellion and opposition against God. But why? John goes on to say in the second half of verse 15, do not love this world nor the things that it offers you for when you love the world, you do not have the love of the father in you. And at first glance, this verse is a little scary because the way that this has been interpreted is to say, okay, well, if I love the world, does that mean that God doesn't love me? Does that mean that God can't love me for some reason? Does that mean that the love of the father is not in me? But John's already made the case over and over and over again that God loves us no matter what. And there is nothing that we can do to make ourselves outside of God's love except for us to look him in the face and say, I'm opting out. I don't want any of this. What John is writing to us here and saying that the love of the father is not in us is much less about God's love for us and much more about our love for God. Earlier in the book of 1 John, he's making this point and saying that you know that your relationship with God is legitimate. Your love for God is authenticated by your love for people. And so we talked a few months back about this idea that we know that we know Jesus. When we want to love others like Jesus loves us, and it's actually changing the way that we treat them. But if that love has been superseded by another love. If there's something else that's getting our attention and our devotion and our commitment outside of doing good to other people, John wants us to know that that's a sign that something's wrong. That's a sign that our love for God is off because if it was true, we would be expressing it in our love for people. But if we're loving something else other than the people around us, then we have some questions we need to answer. And so we're thinking hard about these terms, right? About like, okay, what, what is John actually saying? What does it mean for the love of the Father to be in us? And what is the world? And what is John saying? And what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. <laughs> you were thinking it. I just needed to name it so that we can get it out of the way. It's like, okay, thank you, brain, for that little treat. We're going to move on now. But answering these questions of what is John actually saying, there's this sense in that John is saying, guys, 
Verses 12 to 14. In all of the verses prior, he's made these really amazing, beautiful articulations of what it means to have our relationship with God so solid that we can have confidence, that we know him, that we have overcome the evil one, that we are children of God. And then in the next breath to say, do not love the things of the world. Do not wrap your well-being and your goodness in this system that is actually opposed and in rebellion against God because the people that do that prove that they don't have a love for God inside them in the first place. This is the essence of what John is giving to us in his warning, verse 15. But then he goes on in verse 16 to give us examples of how that looks. So verse 16 says this, For the world, this system that is opposed to God, offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. John mentions three things explicitly here. Physical pleasure, craving for everything that we see, we can call this desire, and then this third thing, Achievements and possessions. We're going to call this accomplishments. These three, pleasure, desire, and accomplishments. He names these things specifically, but they're not actually the things that John is saying are bad. Because when we think about it, these things were actually created by God. There was this heresy going about in John's day that was saying that everything that existed in the material world, like the stuff of this world, and the pleasures, and the possessions, and the pursuit of all of that that existed, that was actually bad. Enjoying things, and taking delight in things, and being part of this, like that was all evil, and the only thing that really mattered was the spiritual, the immaterial. And so, you typically had two responses, then either do what you want, because it doesn't matter, or avoid it altogether, and live this life that actually isn't concerned with physical needs, and material, and all of that. But John already went back in chapter one, and told us that like, Hey guys, remember, God created everything. Like this world that you live in, this body that you have, God made that. And when he made that, he declared it very good. And so the enjoyment of things, even the desire of good things, being able to dream and to pursue and to achieve, these are all things that were created by God. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Screwtape Letters, which if you've never read it, is this fascinating, insightful, somewhat disturbing set of letters written satirically, like it's, it's fiction, just to make that clear, between these two demons about how to tempt humans. And one of the points that one of the older demons makes as he's writing this letter is to say, like, you know what, here's the thing. Hell's research and development department has never created its own unique pleasure. There's no pleasure, no enjoyment, no delight that it's been able to create in this world because that's all from God. The only thing that hell can do is twist it. Is to bring this pervertedness or this disordinate desire for something. But it can't create any of that enjoyment and delight and that pleasure that God actually intended for creation. So these things that John is naming, these aren't actually the things that are the problem. Which is why John is careful to tell us that the things that the world offers us are not the physical pleasures and the desires and the accomplishments that we can do in this world. But we go back to verse 16, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. 
a craving, or in other translations, a lust for everything that we see and pride in our achievements and our possessions. What John is zeroing in our attention to, knowing that God created this world very good, that he created us to live in it and enjoy it, echoed through other pieces of scripture. First Timothy, I believe it's 6.17, says that God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. James 1.17 tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from above, being given to us by the Father of lights. God gives us good things, but what the world would do is to make those good things ultimate things. And to convince us that our goodness and our well-being is wrapped up in wanting and having and boasting in the things that we enjoy, our dreams and our fears, and the things that we possess and acquire and achieve in this life and to make that the standard of what it means to live the good life. And John is saying those things, those are the things that the world has to offer you. But that craving and that lust for more and that pride in the little that you actually have, that's all the world has to offer you. And so John gives us this careful articulation and this warning for us not to wrap up our goodness and our well-being in the things that the world has to offer because those things won't last any longer than the world itself does. And so again, John is saying, do not wrap your goodness and your well-being so much in this system that is opposed to God because when you do, you prove that you don't have the love of the Father, love for the Father in you in the first place. Because that craving and that lust and that pride, that is not from God. But why does this matter? Why not be able to live our days enjoying and taking pride in this life that we do have in these short years that we have under the sun? John goes on in verse 17 to tell us why. We talked about what is John actually saying? What are the consequences? getting this wrong. In verse 17, he says this. This world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. There's another reading of scripture going on over there. <laughs> Love it. We just, all about scripture. Scripture is our guide, right? <laughs> So this idea that God has given us all things to enjoy, and yet we are not supposed to make those good things into ultimate things and find our goodness and our well-being only in those things. But the reason is because this world and the craving and the pride and the accomplishment and the insatiable desire for more that it offers us will not outlast the world itself. So again, John... He's coming to the end of his life. He's about 100 years old at this point, which by today's standards would be an accomplishment. But back in his day would have been unheard of. And he's saying as he's looking back in the long years of his life and looking ahead to the day when he gets to see his best friend again, face to face. And the sense of looking back on this world that he's about to leave and saying, guys, listen, all this is fading away. John knows that one of two things are going to happen 
in our relationship with this world. Either we are going to end before it does, and everything that we've invested in it will be gone. Or we will end the same time the world does, and everything that we've invested in it will be gone. And John is cautioning us not to spend our lives pursuing our goodness and our well-being in something that is not God because that thing is not going to last. And so the caution that John gives us is to say, if you play the world's games, you win the world's prizes. But the world can't give you anything that's going to last longer than it does. And when the game's over, it all goes back in the box. And Jesus would spare us from that sense of loss and regret, of knowing that we spent our short years here on earth building a life that we only had to say goodbye to. And the caution that John gives us is do not waste your life loving something that won't last. And we've been kind of talking carefully about the words that John is using and kind of digging into like, okay, but what is he saying? And if it's this, it's, it can't be that. And what does it mean? It's very like a left brain exercise, right? But I want you to imagine with me, why would John go here? Why would he talk all about loving people and our life in this world and not loving the world around us? Like, we know what he says, we know why it's dangerous, but what in the world does this have us, what does this have to do with loving people? And so I just picture, I picture John, 90, 95, 100 years old, writing this letter to a church that he knows and loves and has a heart for. And at this time, he's exiled for his faith to the island of Patmos. He's alone. He's in like solitary confinement on this island, which kind of sounds good to some people. And others is like, that sounds terrible. And others are like, sign me up. When do I get to go? <laughs> but he's there and he's just, he's reflecting on decades of life with Jesus and everything that he's seen and the rise and fall of so many and people who came into a relationship with Jesus and people who forsake Jesus. And he's thinking about everything that he's experienced and everything that he has spent his life investing in. And he's looking ahead to that day when he stands before not just his best friend, but also the savior and king of the universe. And he's reflecting on everything that he's known and what kind of wisdom and warning and encouragement he can share with God's people. And the thought that he was, he was there during all of the stories from Jesus's life and ministry that we would remember and reflect on and share with one another, he was there when Jesus fed the 5,000. He was there when Jesus was crucified. He was there at the Sermon on the Mount. And what we know is Matthew 6, 24 would have been something that John knew as something his best friend once said. You cannot serve two masters. That at the end of the day, you cannot be devoted to two things at the same time. 
Because when those things come in conflict with one another, you will either love the one and hate the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And Jesus himself said, you cannot serve God and stuff. This word mammon, that just means the things of the world. You can't serve these two things at the same time. And John, reflecting on this wisdom and writing to the men and women that he's writing to in this letter, looking back on his own life and encouraging them to think about their own. And as much as he has been saying, we should love one another, we should love one another, we should love one another, God loves us, and so therefore we should love one another, is this idea that sometimes our failures to love one another do not come from a lack of love for them, but from too much love for the wrong thing. And our love for others, if we have our goodness and our well-being and our attachment to the things of the world, will always be challenged and come in conflict with if we are finding our good in things outside of a relationship with Jesus. And we know that happens when we are using our life to pursue goodness outside of Jesus instead of using our life to do good to other people. And so the reason John makes this explicit warning after he's told us to love so much is that this will be one of the greatest enemies to our ability to actually love people well. The first is knowing God's love for us. The second is having too much love for the wrong thing. Any failure of ours to love, we need to ask the question, where is it that I'm loving something more than the person in front of me right now? What is it that I'm finding my goodness and my well-being in that is preventing me from being able to do good to this person? This question has been messing me up this week. Interactions with my kids. When I am not patient with them, when I am not listening to them, when I am not kind to them, when my interaction towards them does not look like the beautiful passage that's read at weddings that is 1 Corinthians 13. <laughs> what conflicting love is getting in the way? Where do I find my goodness and my well-being in something that is actually preventing me from loving them well? Let me tell you three things that I take pleasure in. Are you ready? Calm, quiet, and predictability. Let me tell you three words that have never been used to describe children. I enjoy those things, I delight in those things. They are good things, but they are not ultimate things. And my desire for those things will often get in the way of my ability to care well for my kids because I'm finding my well-being in those things instead of allowing my life to be used in the pursuit of the good of these people, small humans in front of me. When I fail to love my wife well, when I like, lack that patience and that listening ear to care for her, what conflicting loves, where am I finding my goodness and my well-being that is actually preventing me from loving her well? When we experience this, when we cut someone off in traffic, when we're short with a coworker, when we're condemning people with all of the vitriol and all of the angst on social media that we would never express in real life, where are we finding our goodness and our hope and our well-being that is actually preventing us from loving this person well? Because scripture is clear about two things. Two things that we know without a shadow of a doubt will last forever. One is God. The second 
is those who were created in his image. That's, that's everyone. That's me. That's you. That's everyone you've ever met and all the people that you haven't. Every one of the seven billion people on the planet right now and each and every one of them that has existed throughout history lives forever. And that is either a beautiful thought or a terrifying thought. But the idea that John gives us is that when we invest in the things that are related to this world and find our goodness and our well-being so wrapped up in those things, we're making an investment in something that doesn't last. Why would we spend the short years of our life here building a foundation on something that's just going to go away? But when I am able to use my time and my energy and my attention and my skills and my passion to love others, that other that I'm loving will live forever. I'm contributing to something that will exist throughout eternity and every act of love is an act of praise and worship to God, which will echo throughout eternity. And I can only imagine that John sitting on this side of his journey back to Jesus and looking back on the long years of his life, warning us about what there is to lose, only had a sense for himself of the confidence of everything that he gained. That knowing that he came to the, these decades of his life and to the last years of his life and was able to look back exiled, alone, but full of joy and confidence because he knew that the things that he had spent his time doing, the love that he had shown to other people would be the things that would last forever. And so as much as he is giving us a warning in this passage, he is also giving us direction to say, listen, do not waste your life loving things that won't last because this world is fading away. It's already in its last chapter. The curtain's gonna close soon. John could felt it even in his day and we are only closer as history continues to go on. But this idea of being able to devote our lives to something that will last forever is the encouragement that John is giving each and every one of us. The question that I would invite you guys to come out of here with, and it's a question because in these moments we often wanna get the thing that's gonna get us through the week, that is not this message from John. This is not the warm, fuzzy kind of message that we, that we love. This is actually a, a challenge and a check yep. to where we're finding our joy and our well-being in this world, but we do not grow in these spaces. Just because we hear something does not mean that it's actually making a change in our life. We have to hear truth. We have to discuss it with other people to get to the heart level stuff. And then we have to practice and do something about it. Come back to reflect on how that went and gain more insight and more knowledge of what God would have us to say. And so the question that I would invite you to ask yourselves and share with your community, share with your family, share with the people and the friends in your life that are pointing you towards Jesus is when you have a hard time loving people, what conflicting love might be getting in the way? What's the thing that you may be finding your goodness and your well-being so wrapped up in that it's hard to love the person that Jesus has called you to love? And to ask that question without a sense of condemnation, because there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus took care of that, so we don't have to do it for him. It's, it's done, it's over. But to be curious about what is it that's getting in the way? What is this thing 
that I've wrapped up my life in that God is asking me to actually let go of so that instead of finding my good in it, I can be doing good to this person. What conflicting love is getting in the way of my ability to love other people? That's the question that I would invite you to ask yourselves and process your communities and your families and with your friends this week. Because when we group up like that, when we take what we hear in these moments and we bring that to our communities, those are the spaces that we're able to grow. This warning that John gives us is really an invitation to build a life that lasts beyond our status in our world, beyond our 401k, beyond our GPA or our real estate investments or crypto. Like, it, it, that, none of that is reliable. None of that is going to last. But to build a life with God that lasts beyond this world is the invitation that John gives us. This is not the only warning that John gives us in his book. Next week, we're going to look at kind of really the reason that John is writing his book in the first place. John is writing his book to a group of people in a place called Ephesus who have seen men and women come into their church only to leave the church and not only leave the church, but leave the faith and try to encourage people to go with them. And so in this next passage, John is taking everything that he said for the first two and a half chapters of his book and zeroing it in on the reason that he's writing in the first place, which is how do we know that we can actually trust someone to lead us in our spiritual life? We have the privilege of hearing from friend and clinical psychologist Ken Gates next week. You're not going to want to miss this. So be sure that you check that out as we continue in our journey through 1 John. And before we dismiss today, I would love to pray for you guys. So I'd invite you to stand as we pray and then get out of here. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for this group of people that we call the Hope Collective, but that you call your kids. Thank you that we get to be in this relationship with you and thank you for loving us enough to not let us waste our life loving things that don't last. We ask you, God, that you would help us as we go throughout this week to see those places and those conflicting loves that take us away from you and our ability to love other people. We pray for a deeper sense of your love for us so that we can express that love to others. And in those moments when we fail, we know that you have forgiven us but help us ask the questions of why so that we can grow closer to you and become more like you, Jesus. Thank you for the people you've put in our lives to encourage us, to challenge us, and that we get to process this all with because we do not do this alone. We do this with you and we do this together. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here, guys. We'll see you next week. Thanks for spending time with the Hope Collective. If you appreciated this message, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. You can also leave a rating or review, which will help other listeners find us online. Thanks again for joining us.